Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. All right, here we go. What you think about? Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you are joining us today. Our show is going to be about gratitude and the gift of giving with Dr. Marian Summers, and she's just a joy to talk to. But before I introduce her, I would like to do some shout-outs. So first, I want to shout-out to the Mark Arneson Band. I love their song, Clarion Call, that they let us use as our opening music. If you like it, too, you can go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music platforms. And for those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to have real conversations with real people. So stick with us for this next hour and uh, and dive into the conversation. We are live, and if you want to call in with a question or a comment, feel free to do so. That number is 323 870-4602. And keep in mind that maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest on the show. We always enjoy um, having people around the world at all levels join us. So those living with dementia, um, those family members taking care of them, business professionals, authors, um, filmmakers, songwriters, um, researchers, you name it. We've had kids on here doing uh, great things. Um, we just don't think that we can make sustainable change if we are not inclusive. So reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you about joining us. And mark your calendars for December 22nd. We're going to have an open mic where anybody can call in and talk about whatever is uh, on their mind regarding dementia care and uh, caregiving in, in general there. Um, I want to just uh, let everyone know, in case you haven't checked out our new website, uh, it's just updated. It's, it's not a new name or anything, but go to alzheimerspeaks.com. We have tons and tons of free resources in our free educational section, so please check that out. And there you'll also find some public events. I know uh, coming up on November 11th, which is just right around the corner here, We are going to be doing a um, free webinar with volunteering for seniors. And then on December 8th, if you're in Minnesota, Artist Senior Living is uh, sponsoring an event that will be an in-person event where I'll be speaking about family gatherings, events, and travel, and how do you take those difficult and yet fun times and traditional times and, and really really elevate them so everyone is having having a great time. We're going to hear from the uh, Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we're going to be right back with Dr. Miriam. I love the foot bar walker, and let me tell you why. 
It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. They are such a wonderful resource, so make sure you check out their site. If you are having a hip replaced or a knee replacement, having issues with uh, grooming or feeding, they have so many reviews of different types of equipment and tools that you can use. It's absolutely incredible. So check out the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. And also, if you need uh, you know, mobility assistance, make sure before you buy a walker, you check out the foot bar walker because it is uh, it is wonderful. It was made by two friends for two friends. And if you go to the site, you will learn more about that. So let's get to our show today. I am really excited to be talking with Dr. Marion Summers. Uh, she is a recognized visionary and thought leader in the field of elder care. And she has over 40 years of experience as a geriatric care manager, caregiver, author, speaker, and teacher of all things regarding elder care. I am truly, truly honored to have her join us today and share her expertise and wisdom with us. And again, remember this is a live show, so you can always call in if you'd like. 323-870-4602, and I'll try to call you, uh, pull you into the conversation. I know many of you listen after the fact, and, and that is perfectly fine. Now, um, you know what? I'm just not even going to read any more of her, um, of her intro. I, I want to have a conversation with her. The only other thing that I want to mention is that she has written a book called Elder Care Made Easier. Who doesn't that apply to? Uh, Dr. Marion, 10 Steps to Help You Care for an Aging Loved One. Um, that is something I think should be in every single library and probably every family household for as, as much as, I, as I'm concerned because we are all going to deal with this at one point or another. So, Dr. Marion, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I, I am really honored um, to have you on the show today. I was so looking forward to today. Thank you. Well, great. You know, before I get into my line of questioning, I always like to ask every guest if they have been personally touched by dementia or um, um, Alzheimer's, you know, or other types of forms in their own family or circle of friends. I most certainly have been dealt with on, on a personal level. Uh, one of the stories I wanted to convey today was about my sister, Patricia. Uh, she's 10 years younger than myself, and she 
as slowly losing both physical and, and mental capacity. And her lifetime partner, Elizabeth, is taking care of her. They've been together for 35 years. And what Patricia is doing is making little angels out of clothespins, those wooden clothespins. And she puts felt material on them to make a cap. And she puts, she makes little halos on them, puts faces on them. And she's been giving these out as gifts to anybody she meets. And she is known as the angel lady up in uh, her area of upstate New York. But what I did, because she was, she's given out over 3,000 of these angels. Uh, she doesn't take any money for anything. This is her gift to the world. But it is her way of giving. But in order to support what she was doing and is continuing to do with, as she loses her abilities, I wrote an article about what she is doing and I sent it to the upstate New York uh, newspapers and one of them picked it up and they included the whole article and a picture of these angels and they're very sweet and colorful and they give joy to ever anyone who has them or has been given one and one of my I talked to my sister just the other day and she said she just gave an angel to a young kid she always asked the parents before she gives them and the child said oh this angel has ears. Oh, I know God is listening to me. How wonderful. (laughs) And she has gotten wonderful, wonderful comments. Like people are saying, oh, just what I needed to know that there's some good in the world and maybe some angel is up there looking over me. Or I just lost somebody and this angel is going to now be my reminder of that person. And in her area, (laughs) Patricia's area, you go into the bank or any of of the local stores there are her, her angels are either hanging and uh, last year they were hanging from the christmas tree and 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 some of the places or near the cash register so it's a re, it's it's given her a new life she is aware that she is losing capacity both physically and mentally but this has given her a reason for joy a reason for reaching out to people and a reason to get positive feedback uh, un- unsolicited possible feedback, and it's just been wonderful, absolutely wonderful for her. And her and her partner Liz is also benefiting from this because it gives Patricia a rationale for getting up in the morning because she has to make her angels, and she makes she's making. They buy these clothespins by the gross now; these little wooden clothespins. So it's it's a family affair, and we're all enjoying it and all participating in it, and it keeps Patricia involved with the community in a way that she would not be able to interact with. Oh, my gosh. I should have her on if she would ever be interested. I do a thing called Dementia in the Arts, and that is where I interview people with dementia, and they show us their arts. And they explain why they're doing it, what they get out of it. And this would be um, just an incredible thing to be able to show people. Um, I was also thinking, too, and I don't know if if you're aware of this or if she is, um, but there's a movement called the Purple Angel that was started by Norms McNamara over in the U.K. And it's a a symbol. Um, It's not a close pin, but but these could tie in still really well with it just to get people to talk about dementia and not having to have all the answers, but just getting that discomfort 
from having a conversation that this exists and that we, you know, we need to deal with it and we need to support people and to be able to see somebody who's really making a difference in people's lives. I loved when you talked about her having purpose um, and getting accolades for what she's doing. I mean, we all want that in our life. And just because you're living with the diagnosis doesn't make any difference. So thank you for sharing that with us. That is really, really cool. I love that. Um, oh, I am I am sure my sister would be thrilled to share her thoughts and, and her accolades and her understanding that there is life even though other things are happening to her body and to her mind, that she has momentum and she has purpose. And that, to me, is the backbone of giving, is having purpose every day you wake up. Yeah, yeah. Or if she'd ever be interested in joining us on Dementia Chats, too, she'd be more than welcome to be there. And that's where I just facilitate a conversation with people with dementia. And they pick the topic and they talk openly about it and um, we have people from all over the world that join us on that, and then we push those videos out. Um, people use them for training and just family education and um, helping others who are diagnosed to kind of remove their fear or move through it um, and become advocates. So um, she just sounds like she's a, a wonderful, wonderful person, and how lucky are you that she's your sister. So thanks uh, again for, for sharing that story with us. Let's talk about the importance of gratitude. You know, that's what we titled the show today, Gratitude and the Gift of Giving. Um, Why is that so important in your life? And why do you think it's important for others as well? Well, basically, the dictionary says the quality of being thankful is gratitude and readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. And I think with what is going on in the world right now, we need to reinforce and get back to basic values of giving to each other in ways that are helpful, supportive, kind, and awaken the beauty within every individual. I'd love to share another story with you on that. Oh, sure. Um, on, on, the, on the concept of giving, um, my grandson, who is in the eighth grade, and in in his school, and he's, he's he's now a senior, being in the eighth grade, so that makes him a big guy. And part of the, the spirit of the school is community outreach, both out in the universe and within the school. So Max was given the assignment of a, a youngster in the second grade, and but without giving being given any specifics as to what to do with this child, either read to them or talk to them. It was an hour assignment, and this is going to be once a week. So Max and this youngster got together and in a classroom setting, and Max were in their conversation together. Max was trying to get what was this child's interest and, and get a better handle on him so that he could help him in something. And Max said, well, since the conversation with with this child was not going that well, Max said, I'll read you a story. So he went to the school library, the the classroom library, and he got a book and he started to read the book and and the child with interest. And after a while, Max said, would you like to read one of the pages? And the kid just rebelled did not want to do any reading, did not want to touch the book. He was he was fine being read to. 
And Max realized that after speaking with him a little while, the kid resented reading. Could and he says, "I can't read. I just can't read." And he says, "I I just want to be read to." And Max says, "Well, when I was your age and in your grade, I couldn't read." And he says, "I had a hard time reading until I was in the third grade." But he says, "I'll show you how I learned how to read." And Max said, "This kid just perked up that there was, you know, a light at the end of this what he thought was this dark tunnel." And as they interacted, Max took out paper and pencil, and because I had helped Max, and everybody else had helped Max with with what we learned later a, a form of dyslexia. And Max wow. showed him all the all the tricks that he had learned, and 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 they were just simple, like the letter A had three lines. So instead of looking at the A as this monumental thing that you have to remember. It was just three lines, and he had this youngster write the three lines in color, and then and Max said, pick another color, so he picked another color, and before you know it, this kid could memorize, he memorized what the A looked like, and he was A, and then he went to the word and, because that was in one of the stories that Max was reading, and he says, then he looked at what the N and the D looked like, and he had this child do an outline of the D. Max did it first, and then the child did an outline. And they did this for A and D. And which may not sound very exciting over the phone talking to you, but I can tell you it was this child, Max says his eyes just lit up, and he had a smile on his face for the first time. And the teacher had been watching what Max and this youngster were doing, and encouraged Max to spend a little more time since she obviously saw that there was there was a breakthrough or something was happening of a positive nature. To shorten this story is to say that Max stayed about an hour and a half. The kid was glowing about now understanding not how to read and, but he could write and. The child, and the story goes on. The child went home, told his parents. He says, I really want to learn. The parents called up the school. They were thrilled. <laughs> the school called up my my daughter and she says, "Please come now. When you come to the school to fix Max up, please come into the principal's office." <laughs> my daughter and went to the principal's office, thinking, "What am I dealing with?" And she found out that the principal started to cry when she said this, the interaction between Max and this youngster was beautiful to watch that Max had incredible patience and that it broke through whatever was holding this child back from wanting to learn to read. And the parents cried, the principal cried, the principal who my daughter-in-law said is not somebody who hugs people, came and hugged my daughter-in-law for the beautiful work she had done with Max to have him such a patient and kind child. Wow. There was, there was gratitude in every direction from the simple act of helping somebody without any gender just to be there to help another individual. Well, you know, and I think the other piece of that, too, that I think is so important in the world we live in is 
you know, Max wasn't talking down. Max had experienced it. I mean, he, he was a peer. You know, he was a mm-hmm. cohort in, in terms of dealing with that. And that is very different than some, than somebody telling you how to fix it who's never experienced it. Because I think we feel judged um, if that's happening or not. I think that's just kind of a normal human reaction. And so, you know, if it's conscious or not, we're pushing, we're pushing that help away um, because of our mindset. And um, what a beautiful story. And no matter who we are, no matter what our circumstances are, we can all give help and we can all receive help. And it makes everybody's life better. It makes everybody's. And, you, and when you were telling the story, I just kept seeing the ripple effect. Of, of one act of kindness and how many people that affected. Huge. Well, the, and that the parents were just beside themselves because they had done so many other technical things with this child and got nowhere. Mm-hmm. Max, with his very simple act of kindness, was able to reach this child in a way that had not been happening before. So it, it was a win-win on so many levels. Exactly, exactly. Well, gosh, another another cool story within the family. Your sister, your your grandson, um, and they all they all wrap together. Um, one of the things, and you, we kind of went over this in in this conversation, but I'd like to dive in a, a little deeper and and talk about in in what other ways does gratitude help people. You know, you talked about the society we're living in right now, which is just kind of in chaos and and um, and things. How how does how does gratitude help us all, no matter who we are out there? Just keeping it on its most simple form is just saying thank you to somebody that did something for you or gave you a gift. When you just use the word thank you, you're expressing gratitude. You're expressing expressing appreciation, and the other person is feeling acknowledged. It's acknowledging other people wherever they are, whatever their level is, whatever their complexity is, whatever, whatever they feel is their, their rock that they can't move. You, we can do it with kindness. It, is, it, is, it opens kindness and kind words and gentleness and expressing gratitude, opens doors that uh, in my many years of experience, finding kindness and understanding that the person before me, no matter who it is, no matter what the problem is, I see them for who they are, not for all the complications that they are dealing with, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional handicaps. I see them as a whole individual. I see the person mm-hmm. in ways that I, I can, ways that I I look at them and, and see, do, are, is this a, a person that is, is more auditory? Is this a person who is more tactile? I find different ways to convey, I appreciate you as an individual. Let's communicate in ways that work for both of us. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, but it is a lesson I think many many of us sometimes in our busyness forget to be kind and gentle and express gratitude for everybody around us. No matter how simple the act is. Exactly. Well, and to me, it it brings both sides together. It's that it's that connection, and that recognition, 
and, you know, hopefully in a non-judgmental fashion that just says, God, somebody sees me. I mean, in this world, in, in how fast-paced things are, I think there's a lot of human beings at all ages and stages of life that feel invisible. Like no one even, I, I could disappear and no one would even know that I'm here. But those simple acts of kindness, the the smile, the helpful hand, the, you know, the hour and a half your grandson took, the, the angels that your your sister are making, I mean, they're, they're a true human connection that say, I see you, and you belong here with me. There are so many different ways of expressing gratitude and appreciation. We have to look for it. As you pointed out, in our busy world, we sometimes forget that simple acts are the most poignant and that will reach the person. You get them just to understand you are listening to them, you're acknowledging them, you you empathize with them, whatever it is that's the interaction, just letting that person know that they exist, you see them, and you appreciate them. That's mm-hmm. so important, that, that acknowledgement. Yep, yep. I, I very, very much agree. And I think... I think those acts of kindness um, are are so important, and and I think even sometimes when people don't say thank you or can't um, acknowledge your kindness in words, um, you can still feel their gratitude. You can see it in their eyes. You know, depending on if, if someone is um, is very ill and maybe has lost their speech. Um, you can you can see it in their eyes. You can feel it through their touch. Um, there's so many nonverbal ways uh, as well that we that we can uh, communicate there. Um, let's talk about the 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 giving you know um, as a gift, and let's talk about kind of the the tangible physical giving versus the supportive spiritual giving, you know, that lifts our hearts, and then the gift of, of recognizing talent. Do you want to break those down? Because I think this really applies, um, you know, not just to dementia, not just to caregiving, but just throughout all of our lives. You know, these are things that we can apply and can make a huge, huge difference in not only other people, but how we feel about ourselves, too, I think. Well, there, there are just so many ways of giving. It, it, you know, if you've got clothing in the house that you're not using or you've outgrown or your kids have outgrown, bring it, bringing it to a shelter, bringing it to a used, used clothing place. Uh, I believe in bringing anything to um, shelters where it is at all possible. The other day I brought two, two banker boxes full of socks. Uh-huh. They were every conceivable size. You would think I had brought in gold uh, to the, because all they were did this was a charity. They were just going to give it away. And he said that one of the complaints with the winter is that there aren't enough socks to go around. They don't have new socks. They don't have used socks. They don't have any socks because I had given out their whole supply. But just bringing those two boxes, which I just need, I needed for me. I need to have the space. So I was getting rid of something that was no longer serving me. But mm-hmm. instead of bringing it to some a used clothing place, I brought it to a charity that was going to give it to somebody in need and somebody who obviously may not have the finances to buy anything. And mm-hmm. so it was a blessing for me and it was a blessing for the recipients. 
so it, it doesn't necessarily mean getting big things or spending a lot of money. It's giving your time. It's giving your energy. Um, I have found that since I've spent so much time in nursing homes, just giving a glass of water to somebody who looks like they're thirsty, but they're not at the point where they can speak and articulate that particular need. I'll go up and say, do you want some water? Is there anything I can do? Or just holding somebody's hand when they are in the process of dying. Mm-hmm. Very often when in the dying process, people are left alone because many people don't want to deal with the process. I am very tactile. I'll, I'll touch them. I'll embrace them. I'll sing to them. Uh, but it's, it's a way of letting that person know, I see you to, to the very end of whatever it is, your, your, whatever your transition is, whenever that takes place. That acknowledgement. I had one woman, I gave her a, a drink of water. Uh, she was in a nursing home. She was um, in the process of making the transition to uh, whatever comes next. And I gave her a glass of water and I sat mm-hmm. down beside her and I said, do you want me to, would you want me to hold your hand? Would you want me to sing to you? You just, these are the things I can do right here, right now for you. And she says, mm-hmm. oh, sing to me. So she mm-hmm. said, do you know, so she asked me, do you know any Irish lullabies? Well, I so happen. I do know a couple of Irish lullabies. I said, okay. Do you have one that's a favorite? If you hum me the melody, then because I was interacting with her, I just didn't want to do for her. I wanted her to participate back if she could. And she hung, she sung a melody or a couple of tunes, a couple of verses of it. And the two of us were singing, you know, mm. low key. We weren't, we weren't making noise. We weren't annoying anybody in the facility. She died 45 minutes later singing. An Irish oh. song. You know, I have I have a lifetime of those beautiful experiences, and it's 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 those to me are gifts to me. You know, mm-hmm. and I knew this person was was was. I brought her to the present. She went to obviously in a happy place because she wanted to, that was her first suggestion an Irish melody. I was able mm-hmm. to participate with it, but the gift to me was that. I was there for her transition. Yep. There, was, there wasn't any family member. Oh. The nurse, of course, was, was was coming and going and what have you, but the, the family could not make it. They came about 45 minutes later after she had passed on. And as I was going about the other things that I needed to do at the nursing home, the, the nurses told them, they, this is the lady that's to your mother. Speak to her. So mm-hmm. I was able to tell this family, give them the comfort of knowing, yes, they were, they were, they were beside themselves that they weren't there at the moment of her transition or before because they got stuck in traffic, but they were quieted and comforted by knowing, yes, she passed, and yes, they weren't there, but she, she had somebody there with her and she was singing Irish lullabies, which is, which they said, this is what they would have done if they had been there. Now, I have no way of knowing what this, what this woman's needs were, but I allowed her to keep talking to me. So she transitioned singing. I mean, what could be better than that? Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. And like you said, by doing that, the comfort that you gave the family, because there's such great guilt on are we doing this right? 
you know, or we didn't make it in time, or even if they're there, I should have said this or I should have done that, um, to be able to give give people peace, um, both who are, who are transitioning and those that are trying to support them and, and yet going through their own grief, um, you know, through this process. Um, those, those are huge, huge things. And I know that there are probably people out there listening that, you know, sitting with somebody, you know, while they're transitioning, while they're passing, um, just turns their stomachs to not. Um, because they're so uncomfortable with the the death process and death and dying, and I know myself, I've I've been with people um, on many occasions, and it is the most peaceful, calming. Um, I hate to say joyful, but but after they pass, they're I don't know for me anyways. I I feel this peace and this joy that uh, how lucky was I to be present in that rare, honest um, moment, you know, that's so authentic. I mean, death and birth to me are so, so similar. And I know people will think I'm probably wacky on that, but what an honor. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I've had, I've had so many of these transition experiences that I am so comfortable talking about it, dealing with people who are going through it or the family members who are needing support in some shape or form or need a level of understanding. Uh, I, had, I had two. Can I go on to another story? Oh, please, please, I, yeah. We love stories here. <laughs> uh, I was dealing with two brothers. Uh, well, first, uh, the older brother, the older brother came to me and he wanted, he was talking about his tale of woe about his brother, his younger brother. And he, he and we had three sessions and I couldn't break through with uh, making him understand that his brother has gifts and his whatever. And so I finally said, would you like to have a session with both yourself and your brother together? You keep talking about this younger brother. I said, I don't have a sense of you know, what limitations he may have, but could he come to the office? This is the days when people came to the office. And mm-hmm. he said, I would love it. He said, I, but he said, will you call and make the, the, the breakthrough? He says, I'm not sure he'll even speak to you, to, 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 to me. And, but he says, um, I'll leave an email for him that you are going to call. And this way it makes it impersonal letting and I'll make the connection in in as impersonal a way as possible which is not the way I like to work things but I said well that's fine so I did call this younger brother and he he said I'll I'll, I'll be happy to come he says it's about time we did. he said something very gruffly like it's about time we we got to the the, the nuts and bolts of our relationship so I, I said all right so we made an appointment I got both brothers there at the same time well my my original client was 94, and his younger brother was 92. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so when he was talking about younger brother, he had never mentioned the age. <laughs> so this 92-year-old comes in, and I sit in, in, in chairs that are kind of facing each other, but not directly facing each other. And they 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 started to verbally spat with each other, and they brought up issues that were from the fifth grade and the seventh grade and football games and who stole whose <laughs> who's girlfriend. And 
and and they were they were going back and forth and i and i think it, they had not spoken face to face in years so i let this come to the surface because i think i i'm not sure which way to go with these two and then mm-hmm. after about 20 20 minutes of this started to laugh i said you know what i feel like i am in the sandbox with two of my new best buddies and you keep throwing sand at each other and i think it's time to stop throwing sand because mm-hmm. I, I didn't say to either one of them you know who's right who's wrong i didn't take any of those issues whatever. so we spoke and we started to giggle because I gave them an image of two youngsters throwing sand at each other in the sandbox. And they both remembered, which I did not know beforehand, they both remembered a time when they threw a lot of sand at each other and somebody got sand in their eye and what have you. So we, I got them to the sandbox issue where they were youngsters mm-hmm. enjoying the play and interaction. Wow. By the end of our by the end of our session, they were they were like they weren't quite hugging kind of people to begin with. They 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 shook hands, which I felt mm-hmm. was a big breakthrough. <laughs> and the other the older brother told me later on, he said that's the first time we we've, we've touched each other in years. So he says that was he says that was a biggie. So we had a couple of more sessions, and there was peace and harmony between these guys. Oh, the older, the uh, wait, wait. There's, there's a little bit more. The older brother called me up, and he says, "My my brother passed on. The younger brother passed mm-hmm. on, and he says, I would love you the memorial.' He says because at our age there aren't that many people who will come to a, a memorial, and he says I would like you to give the talk uh, oh, wow. about about us." My my brother and I, he says, because everybody who knows us knows we didn't we didn't like each other for a long time. <laughs> he says, I would like you to go up and in, in front of the the pew and 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 tell people that uh, we successfully healed our, our issues, and and then all the people around me, <laughs> how did you ever, you know, the people who were uh, sitting um, after after I I gave a, a speech. Um, or the eulogy, rather, were asking me, how did you ever get these two back together? And I said, it was easy. I just told myself, here are two brothers that love each other. They just have lost, they've they've gotten off the path. And I found a way of putting them back on the path. It was as simple as that. It really, that's all there was. Because I was able to bring out the best in each of them, and they could start looking at each other from their their positive memories of each other rather than all the hardships that they had shared and endured. Oh, exactly. And you gave them a neutral place um, to do that. And, you know, one one had reached out to show the other one he was ready, you know. So it, it, it that's all it takes sometimes is just for one person to say, okay, let, let's just fix this. This is, this is silly and it's, it's not good for anybody, you know, in that process. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, I was it's not necessary for anybody to say, I'm sorry. It's a matter mm-hmm. of saying, let's go from here forward. That that was That's how I got them going because neither one of them were ever going to say they're sorry, at least yep. not, not when I first met them. <laughs> they were both entrenched in their, their self-righteousness. But the, 
they they at the end they really loved each other. The, the, the younger brother called me a couple of times. The, 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 the other one uh, kept visiting with me. Uh, and it was a beautiful feeling on both sides. And other members of the family saw that there were other aspects of the family that could be healed just as, as easily or as clearly uh, if, if people just put their, their personalities and the, the uh, self-righteousness to the side. Mm-hmm. and looked at the good. And what I ask is they just looked for the good in each other. Yeah. Well, really teaching people to lead by example and don't miss out on all the years that they did because they, they weren't willing to talk. You know, I mean, that's, uh, that's part I think about is, wow, all, all, all the good times missed, you know, just because people were, were afraid to say they're sorry or open the door to just saying, how do we get here? You know what happened because <laughs> uh, because a lot of times you're right people don't don't feel like they owe an apology but they still want to fix it but it's how do you how do you open that door how do you how do you get beyond yourself and and back into into relationship um, gosh what a what a gorgeous gorgeous story and again all of these um, are such wonderful life lessons at all different ages I mean you've got Two men in their 90s. I'm not sure how old your sister is. And then you've got your eight-year-old grandson. So gratitude and kindness comes comes and can be delivered and received at all ages of life and, and all stages of life as well. And I don't think we should ever underestimate its power and and know that we all have the power to give that gift and also to receive it when it comes our way. And, and everybody is blessed by it. I have another story. Do we have time for it? Sure, yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> I, I had a mother, uh, it was a daughter that came to me for, for for some clarification on her relationship with her mother. Her mother was now uh, at the stages of life. They had not spoken, uh, aside from the daughter doing what she said, the dutiful thing that a daughter would have to do. Uh, she said, I have no relationship with my mother. I just do what is socially expected of me. But other than that, I spend no time with my mother. I want nothing to do with her. And she was uh, well grounded in self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, y- your mother is, is dying. You don't have many more opportunities to you know, heal this situation or to, to say something nice to your mother or you know, to to make yourself feel good that you're you're as she makes an exit from this earth that she does something um that you do something that she can acknowledge as good and she said my mother has never acknowledged anything i have ever done my whole life she says i don't expect miracles at the end and i said i expect miracles i said that my life's work is believing in miracles and watching them unfold before me so i got the daughter to just think about at least one thing in her whole lifetime with her mother that she really appreciated her mother. One, mm-hmm. just one thing. And I said, it really is racked her brains to come up with something. So she says, I know what it is. When I was a Girl Scout, my mother made brownies and everybody loved the brownies. And she said, this, this woman that was angry with her mother, and she said, because everybody liked the brownies, 
they wanted me to always be coming to the Girl Scout meetings because they wanted the brownies. So she said, my mother, by making these wonderful brownies that everybody loved, everybody wanted me, accepted me, and appreciated me, if not for myself, at least for the brownies that I brought. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, fine. I said, we're going to go see, we're going to, she wanted me to go see her mother. And she said, she said, I want you to see for yourself what this woman is like. <laughs> uh, so I we went to the hospital, and she was um, at end stages of, of life, and just days. They just felt it was going to be days. And so the, the daughter had me talk to the nurses, and which I always do all of these things when I'm dealing with a client. So I said, do you, want to, do you want me to be around, or do you want me to sit in the waiting room, or do you want me to just go down and have lunch and not be around at all? So she said, no, 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 no. She said, I don't want to see my mother and tell her nice saying something nice without you being around. She says, she may be exiting this world, but she, she, she says, I just can never tell how her anger is going to flare up. I said, okay. So I, I, I introduced, she introduced me to her mother, and she says, I just want Marianne here uh, because I want her to, to hear what I have to say to you. So this this woman who is in the end stages of life dying looks at me, and I tell you, if looks could kill, you know, I would have been dead on the spot, but I didn't react that way. I just said, so pleased to meet you. And I, you know, I said, I've I've enjoyed getting to know your daughter. And I said, your daughter has something she wants to say to you. So her daughter sat down and I said, it very often helps if you hold people's hands when you're mm-hmm. trying to convey a deep emotion. And the daughter looked at me like, <laughs> you didn't warn me about this. <laughs> so I so I asked the mother, is it okay if your daughter holds your hand? So she didn't say no, so I said to the daughter, hold her hand. So I said, just, just hold her hand. And when her, her body temperature and your body temperature becomes almost the same, I said, then talk to your mother. I said, but give this process a couple of minutes. So it took a couple of minutes before the, the daughter gave me a nod saying that I'm ready to say something to my mother. She says, her, our hands are the same temperature. And, I said, and she said to her mother, you know, I never thanked you for the brownies that you made for every Girl Scout meeting. But she said, that made me the very most popular girl in the Girl Scouts because of your brownies. And she said, I never thanked you for those brownies or how oh. it lifted up my or how it lifted up my social life. The mother looked at his I, you know, I, I could see her face right before me right now. Um the mother looked at her in a way that was not the face that we first saw when we came in. Mm-hmm. And there a tear came out of the mother's eye. And the daughter started to cry. And to me, tears are healing. And I didn't say anything. I didn't want to break the, the moment. Mm-hmm. And they, they, were, they were holding her. The daughter then held her mother's hand with both hands. Mm-hmm. And the mother just pulled over her, her other arm and put her hand on top of her daughter's hand. Mm-hmm. Now, this was the most physical contact these people have had in like 30 or 40 years. I mean, it's, 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 it's incredible. To, to be, to, for me, to witness this, that for me was the gift. 
Oh, that's the beautiful. Daughter, I, the daughter I'm asked if she could say it. There's a little, a little bit more to this. The daughter asked the hospital if she could stay overnight at the hospital. And the, and the hospital knew what kind of relationship they had. <laughs> the nurse comes over and is, is, is this dangerous for our clients? Or is this, I said, no, I said, the healing has happened. They don't have much time. Please let them let her stay. So the hospital mm-hmm. okayed for the daughter to stay. She stayed in, in one of these kind of rocking chairs kind of things. And they brought her a blanket. And, and the daughter stayed overnight. They talked all night long. Uh, the mother died. The mother died the following day, and the daughter says, "I wish this had happened earlier, but I'm so grateful it happened now." Mm-hmm. Very. So, I have a, I have a lot of stories like that because I've been in this business a long time, and I, I have learned to embrace dying. It's a natural process. It's mm-hmm. just a natural. Pr- Trees die, flowers die, mountains die, we die. But bless, having, looking at the blessing and the, and the gratitude that happens to people when they are experiencing and they can have a harmonious exiting or transition from this world to whatever comes next. It's, it's yeah. very beautiful. I had a... Um... A, a gal reached out to me, and I was, I was um, out kind of on the speaking circuit at the time, so I was just, you know, it was touching base with her kind of late at night and early in the morning. And her mom was living with dementia and was in her end stages, and she hadn't seen her for a while. She was her primary um, care partner, but then she got ill herself and had to step back. And when she stepped back in and was able to go see her mom, um, her mom was just kind of curled up in the fetal position and really didn't talk, didn't really respond. And she said, you know, I just, I, I really want to, I want to, I want to give her a hug. And I said, then give her a hug, crawl in bed with her. And she's like, oh no, we're not a touchy feely family. We don't do that. And I said, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard family members say that, that my my parents, you know, they didn't raise us like that. And I said, but, you know, somebody has to break the trend. And I said, at least you'll let her know that you want to express love to her and you want to comfort her. And if she cringes and pushes you away, you know, take that as, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that mode. She ended up crawling in bed with her, and she, uh, you know, I couldn't wait to get back from my speaking engagement <laughs> that evening, and I checked my email, and she was so full of gratitude, too, going, it was the best experience to be able to just cuddle her mother and and give her love, and her mom responded. And I'm going to get they're, they're beautiful and moments. We should appreciate it, and that's that always fills me with gratitude when I have experienced something like this and I, I feel the energy is, is so beautiful when people are expressing their highest self. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know where we are on time. I have one more story. If we don't have time, I understand. No, we've, we've got about eight minutes. So I I just want to add one thing. She, she really was not, 
it, she really didn't feel that her mom would even be able to express anything to her. Um, but she was able to express her joy of being loved by her daughter. And she said she just melted right into her. So go ahead. Seven minutes. Here we go. I'll talk talk like Charlie the chipmunk. My my granddaughter, uh, Courtney, down in Texas, uh, her organization uh, has been uh, including uh, the Ukrainian refugees that have landed down in Texas. And she was uh, given one family to take care of all of their needs. So she made a, a million calls. Uh, this family came with four, a mother, father, and two kids, and one suitcase had all of their possessions. They, were, they had absolutely nothing except the clothes on their back virtually. So Courtney made a million calls to everybody that she knew uh, within her community, and they were able to get a, a couch, a pull-out couch. So uh, this, this uh, Ukrainian family was, uh, was, was, uh, had a temporary housing situation for uh, six months. Um, so they, somebody gave them um, a fold-out couch. Um, gave, somebody else gave them a bed. So, they, so they, the parents now had some place to, to sleep. Uh, Courtney went and got used furniture from various friends, didn't spend any money. This was all friends, neighbors, and everybody chipping in. This is a community uh, activity. Uh, with, within a week's time, Courtney said they had two beds, a microwave, all kinds of used furniture, all kinds of odds and ends, even a couple of pretty little things like like a, a pretty vase. Uh, they, they they got clothing donated from from a, a variety of charities. Some some of the people in the community, some uh, directly from the charities, sponsoring these Ukrainians. Uh, and Courtney got her kids involved. She has three children. She got the three little kids involved, and they all did various things, even if it was just to you know polish the furniture and what have you. But the children met. People from another culture, these Ukrainians spoke no English whatsoever. So, and everything was done through translation or phone call translations. They had absolutely nothing. Courtney's kids got a chance to see what it's like to be a refugee coming to a country, not knowing the language, not having any clothing, not having any toys. So the Courtney's kids gathered up toys from all the various neighbors. By the end of six days, I think it was, they had a sufficient amount of furniture, clothing, and what have you, so that they could make a cup of coffee, make breakfast. They had a table and, you know, four mismatched chairs, but they had four chairs. And what, what, what I wanted to say is not just all the work that Courtney and her kids did, but her kids saw what it's like. This is, this is not the news and impartial people, you know, refugees and what happens to them. They saw these, the children, these Ukrainian children, how, how frightened they were, how they, 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 were, they wanted to stand against the wall. They didn't even want to stand in the middle of the room. They, her children were able to see the impact of war the impact of what giving does to somebody else, the impact of 
in a week's time, the kids and my granddaughter said the change in these people was miraculous in itself. Just the fact that they, they felt safe, that they had a roof over their head, they could make a cup of coffee. <laughs> they even invited my granddaughter and her three kids to sit down and have a cup of coffee with them out of their new new used coffee pot. Um, and Courtney brought some, some goodies for them to eat. But food was provided. All of these people's needs were met. But more important for me is that my granddaughter and my great-grandchildren were being exposed to the what war does to people and what kindness does to people. And in just a week or 10 days, they saw a transition in this family that my, my daughter says was, was it can't even explain the difference in this family. They went from fear to being breathing deeper and breathing a sigh of relief and breathing that it's hope. Mm-hmm. It's hope. And well, that's what part, we give to people. Yeah. Feeling part of a community. You know, I, I can't yeah. imagine um, the fear and the anxiousness and the unknowns and how are you going to care and provide for your family and then for for people to come in. And like you said, the lessons of empathy and compassion, the power of one, the power of community, the, the gift of kindness, the the, just the greater good, the, you know, the world does not just revolve around me. Um, and everyone's needs are important. Um, gosh, what great, great lessons. Um, and, and I think when those lessons are, you know, led by example and people can participate in them, you know, they're not just, I mean, the stories are powerful, don't get me wrong there. But when people actually see or feel it or hear of a story i think of your grandson even going to school sharing that story with other kids it's like i know him and he did that you know i you know all of those (laughs) things they they're powerful they're really powerful so i always say you know make sure you share the nuggets and you know the gift of kindness um the gift of of giving care to others you know that that comes in all different layers and fashions throughout our lives. You know, granted, it's needed when someone's got a chronic illness like dementia, you know, um, diabetes, heart disease, but just, you know, the growing pains of life, you know, from being a kid to graduating to driving to getting married to having a baby and getting divorced. I mean, you think of all the things we have to adapt through People need our support. So um, I can't believe we just have like a minute left. So I want to make sure, again, that I mention your book, Elder Care Made Easy, Easier. Um, there's a link. You can go ahead and purchase that. You can find uh, Dr. Marion on LinkedIn and Facebook. She's also on Instagram. And her website is just going through an upgrade right now, but it should be back online, which is Dr. Marion.com. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's just been a true joy. You've had me um, laughing and crying um, with your stories and um, just melted my heart. So, uh, and given me so much hope and I, and I'm sure our listeners are feeling the same way. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your work and your I, I thank you. And I thank you for what you are doing for the Alzheimer's community. Wonderful. Well, uh, let's touch base, though, because I really would love to have your sister on um, 
on our uh, dementia and arts program. And again, go to alzheimerspeaks.com for more information. Until next time, everybody, don't forget to like, click, and share. People need to hear this message. Bye now. Bye. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.